You're listening to Brunch with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Tuesday morning. And since it's Tuesday, I'd like to welcome back on the program the one and the only Andrew Dambina, man about town. How are you doing, Anders? Hello. Yes, I'm well, thank you. That's a very interesting uh, little uh, job title there. Yes. uh, Well, you've been so busy, you know, because we're going to be talking about the auction. And really, you've been instrumental in lining up so many, well, uh, well, uh, of everything, really. So we'll get to that later. I'm just excited because we have 24 hours for the Money Talk Operation Santa Claus auction. Exactly. So before we talk about that, let's talk about it's Tuesday report today. And you sent over a couple of very interesting photos, which I did upload onto the Facebook page. Mm. Um, what have you there for us? Right, well, th- I, I've got three sort of global uh, food reports of interest, very different from each other. But the first one, which is quite uh, jazzy in its colouring, is to do with collectible soy sauce bottles. Uh, Japanese ones. Yeah, with some uh, pretty images on them. Um, if you look at those images, and there's, there's, there's even a psychedelic background for them in the image that I've sent you of four bottles in a line, isn't there? But um, and, and listeners, you can see this on Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3 Facebook, as you said. Um, very attractive, collectible bottles of soy sauce from one of the big brands that's been around for centuries from Japan. Uh, Kikoman is the name uh, of, the, uh, of the brewery because uh, soy sauce is brewed. Um, and the special releases that they make have become super, super collectible and they're fetching hundreds of US dollars for some of these. I mean, it has to be said, some of the ones which I've, uh, which are in that shot of a few. For example, there's a Hello Kitty version. That yeah, that's really cute. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You know what's amazing about it is if you look at it without knowing anything about it, you would not believe possibly that that bottle was released in 1961, <gasps> which means uh, you know before before no. um, you know before Hello Kitty ever hit the West. Um, or, or other parts of Asia. It was very much domestic uh, catering cartoon kitty cat. So it's, um, you know, it really is something that, uh, that people do collect. Well, I'll get into why they're collectible, but what's really surprising, what may surprise many, and it surprised me when I read an article about this in a magazine called The Eater, which occasionally I refer to um, on this, on this uh, programme when we're doing Tuesday. Um, they have some interesting articles. It's an American magazine, and the amazing thing here is that the bottles from Kicker Man are almost exclusively collected in the US, and the US collectors are what's driving them up to a few hundred US dollars. So we're talking about up to or slightly over, because it's more than 300 in some cases, I'd say a little over 3,000 Hong Kong dollars. Now, I guess that's not that much when you talk about a bottle that's going back to the, the early love, 1960s. I know, I would love a bottle. I can see one on eBay right now, 45 US dollars, 351 yeah. Hong Kong dollars. But that one I think is more recent. It's a Hello Kitty one, but it expired. I like the way it said in big letters, expired, um, 2018. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so cute. Right, right. But, but uh, I mean, I, I used to know someone in Hong Kong who collected Coke cans, which were never opened, and they were special edition ones, and he would buy Japanese editions or other ones from around the world, and uh, Asia and further <laughs> around the world, to just collect them, and he would never open them. So the sell-by thing is quite funny, because when people collect food products, sometimes they will be purely kept in pristine 
uh, conditions. Mm. I mean, they may trade them for other ones or, or even sell them, as there's eBay sellers doing that you've just seen. But, but really, it's, it's all about keeping them in mint condition. So they will never be opened, otherwise they lose value as well. But the shape of the Kikoman uh, bottle, which is uh, it's described um, as pear-shaped. It has a flat base, of course, because it has to stand on a table. So it's like a sort of a, a pear shape with a narrow neck to make it easy to grab. And then it has a flat base, which is... Uh, it's, it's a very... In a way, it's like a teardrop. You could say teardrop or pear, but... It, it looks very modern, and it, it was invented in the 1950s, and it's become a design classic, and that's what makes it collectible as well. Uh, in America, though, this is another just amazing bit of info. The world's biggest production facility for Kikoman soy sauce is in a small area called Woolworth in Wisconsin um, <laughs> in the USA, where production lines throughout this whole year until this month have been in overdrive because uh, it's that the, this, this biggest facility for a Japanese soy company in the world, which is in America, celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. And it's been pumping out um, some special editions. And um, the ones that you saw in the image are the original collector's ones, but it's been pumping out some, uh, some special ones. Um, I think um, the... Uh, the Disney one, there is a Minnie Mouse image. They have come out with some Disney uh, special editions, but the one in the graphic that I sent you is actually a Japanese one. You can see there's a sticker on the neck which has some uh, Chinese and Japanese characters on it. Yeah, so, I haven't even seen the the glass bottle ones in Hong Kong for a long time. Or as yeah, Angie I mean, Mann would say, for long. Uh, nowadays, you only it? get the plastic bottle ones, the Kiko Man ones. That's true. In supermarkets here... Yeah, in Hong um, Kong. I haven't I, seen the glass bottles in a long time. No. I don't know. If our listeners have seen them, let me know. Yeah, please do let us know. I, I, I haven't. I mean, I do remember seeing them years ago in Hong Kong, but I haven't seen them for a yeah. long time. I think some Japanese restaurants actually still yes. do have them yeah. in Hong Kong. That's but right. Not, but not in supermarkets not or in grocery su- stores. That's right. They're bigger. I, I'm plastic, looking at on, on, online, you know, some, yeah. some of the online supermarkets in Hong Kong. All of them are plastic bottles. Yeah, yeah that's true. And it takes away... Uh, uh, they're, they're plastic bottles. I mean, there are some smaller ones of, uh, uh, I don't know, two to three hundred milliliters or something. But, uh, but they just... Um, yeah, they're not, they're not very... They don't add much to a table, do they, if you mm. plonk one of those on for a bit of, uh, for a, bit of a splash compared <laughs> to, the, uh, to the teardrop ones. So the price tag... Um, may be uh, a little extreme or seem it, but that's the same with anything that becomes collectible and has a finite value, mm. a, a sort of a finite addition of how many there are. Um, it was around the 1960s then that they decided to go for the special editions in Japan. And the, um, the Kalu Kitty one took over uh, 100 prototypes before it was unveiled. I mean, this is kind of unbelievable um, that someone had a job of perfecting the, the Hello Kitty bottle and, 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 and he, uh, you know, he made a hundred variations of the prototype before it was, it was, it was passed, approved and unveiled uh, and premiered in 1961. Um, so the, the, the root of Kikaman brand actually goes back uh, several centuries and it used to be one of those 
you know, sort of producers as with anything, like as oil, olive oil was in Roman times uh, and ancient Grecian times where, where it went into refillable urns, you know, times that were... Um, were more environmentally friendly because they hadn't invented plastic yet, where people would um, take their big jugs um, uh, and urns or whatever other, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd get whatever they could, a bucket that they could put things into and get a certain amount of litres put in there that were measured out from the uh, distribution centre, you know, the, uh, of someone who made either in this case, soy sauce, but it happened for oils, vinegars, and other such things. Sake definitely was also refilled in Japan, as wine would be in other places. So it, um, it, it does go back for centuries, and the fact that, uh, that the biggest production facility is in America is because the taste for soy sauce in Japan is more for the local neighborhood and regional flavors which are quite different from one another so people in japan tend to patronize their local brewer of um of soy sauce as they do uh, in many cases with sake and other other um say f fermented or um uh, condiments that are going to find their way onto the table rather than by the mass producers so it has become an icon in America, and therefore you can bid highly uh, on on some of these, and probably a good investment, I should imagine, especially if you uh, if you resell in America. <laughs> but I'm going to go on. Although the another another picture that I sent you just briefly before I move on to the next topic was the uh, uh, with, with a stars and stripes patch on his arm, a worker at the Kickerman plant in Wisconsin, um, which is, uh, you know, as, as we've already mentioned, the biggest production site in the world of this brand. So, moving on, I wanted to say, every now and then, I haven't done this for what feels like a couple of years now, and it may well be, it was probably during the peak of the COVID pandemic, I would talk about some really entertaining and informative podcasts that are about food and drink. One that has had a refresh recently is one that was called Out to Lunch, and it used to be with a columnist, a journalist in the UK. Uh, it comes out of the UK, and all of the uh, lunches with famous people from all walks of life, um, a lot of famous people in there, but some that aren't too well known. There's an interview over lunch, and the new presenter of this, which started a couple of months ago, is uh, Aid Edmondson, Adrian Edmondson, and I've got sent a picture of him. Do you, do you remember who, which uh, comedian collective he was with? Noreen might have been a bit before your time to no, remember. I'm not sure. No, no clue. No, okay. He was in the Young Ones, mm -hmm. um, which was. Um, uh, which was popular in the 90s, I think. Maybe it was the 80s, actually. Maybe it was. Too, maybe you were far too young to remember that. But it was a, a collective along with uh, Rick Mayle, who is no longer around. Maybe you haven't heard of him either. And Nigel Planer. It was about some students who lived together in a crazy household um, where bands would play in their living rooms. It was a really... Um, breakthrough comedy uh, in the 1980s, yeah. And um, so Aid Edmondson has become a personality now, more than a comedian on television or in films. And he's been chosen... Um, he's married to, um, to Jennifer Saunders from uh, Absolutely Fabulous and uh, a female comedian in the UK. And he does a really, really entertaining and very nice, relaxed, 
podcast to listen to. So it's called Out to Lunch with Aid Edmondson. And the, he only started this, I think it was the end of October they began. There are, there's a really good one with Tony Visconti, who is a producer of some of the world's um, biggest names in pop music from the 1980s until fairly recently. David Bowie, the late David Bowie, was one of them, and he goes into some recollections of some of those uh, musicians that he worked with. Uh, lots of pop bands from the UK, 80s and 90s as well. Um, Chrissy Hind is in there, who's a long-lasting musician. So it's very UK-centric, this, because, um, because that's where the podcast is made. But, uh, but if, you, if you like some uh, uh, sort of age-old musicians, I would say going back the last few decades, um, you might hear their food and drinks preferences, which mm. is pretty interesting. Um, he, had, he had one anecdote in one of the programmes as well, where he had, this is Aid Emerson, the presenter, where he had a dinner with um, the Mick Jagger, the, 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 the front man for the Rolling Stones, uh, and, and, his, and his wife, um, who, were, who was um, Jerry Hall, and she tried to talk her way onto the uh the show that uh, that the that the podcast presenter's wife was in that's uh Jennifer Saunders absolutely fabulous during that dinner she tried to talk away on even though she was not an actor at all it was just a, it's a funny story <laughs> it's funnier if you hear him tell it so uh, wherever you may or may not listen to podcasts or just do a search for out to lunch with Aid Edmondson out to lunch to start off with and you should find that entertaining stuff um, lastly, um, uh, in Australia, there is a war on food waste at the moment. It was reported by the country's uh, uh, media, ABC, uh, late last week. There is um, a 36 billion Australian dollar problem, says the government. So that's 185 billion Hong Kong dollars per year. Um, the Agriculture Committee chair, whose name is Meryl Swanson, said that it's something that needs desperately to be addressed. Imagine that, 185 billion Hong Kong dollars a year is being wasted, according to this report, a government report, um, on food waste. Exactly. Um, so, and, and, and the population in Australia, I didn't look this up, but, I, but it's not one of the biggest in the world. Um, so that really does seem like quite a massive problem. This is not uh, just scrapings from... The, uh, from the plate, though, um, it should be said, it is also uh, some of the produce which is grown and then spoils or, t- or doesn't, doesn't make it. doesn't it, make uh, it to the markets or yeah, to the yeah, supermarkets. Exactly. That's yeah, exactly. That always accounts for a big part of yeah. wastage. So um, it's, um, it's looking at, right now, in the light of this report, how to conserve things like um, uh, soil nutrients um, and water to minimise the wastage of, of these, which all go into the calculation. Like, that means if, if you have soil nutrients, fertilisers, that, that are not used properly within the agriculture with the food-producing economy, then that will also count towards these billions of dollars that are wasted. Um, so, yeah, they're working on that now. I won't go into more details with that because I think that we want to... Uh, turn oh the one thing i will say just to wrap up this segment is that um the the um agriculture minister swanson there said that she is looking at um getting some examples from most of uh the successful cases in the world which uh uh which among them are scotland 
and Canada, which have faced exactly the same challenges and they've adopted ways of controlling these. So they're going to take some inspiration from those, but they haven't said exactly share best what practices. those are going to be. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. we've got four minutes left. What ha- hit us, Andrew? What have you got for us? Well, okay, today, as you may have heard elsewhere on Radio 3, and I heard Noreen mention it uh, once or twice earlier on in the programme, um, there is a 24-hour auction that is going on until 8.55am tomorrow morning. That's the time it kicked off here today on Radio 3 in Money Talk, as it's always launched in in that programme and closed within it. And what's been amazing about this, before I tell you what what is in there that you can bid on, which will go to 16 very worthy causes, charities and NGOs, under the umbrella of Operation Santa Claus, the joint collaboration annually between Radio 3 and South China Morning Post, $54,700 has been raised so far. I've never, I've been involved in this charity for, uh, sorry, in this auction for the charity for uh, 12 years, and this is the fastest one ever to get out of the stops. I'm really impressed already. Almost, yeah, yeah almost 55000 so far. It's only been a few hours. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it has, it has. And um, so they're all still remaining, as, as, as uh, mentioned, and you can keep bidding, listeners, until just a moment before 8.55am tomorrow morning. Now, food and drinks-wise is what I should be focusing on here as we've been talking about Tuesday stuff. So... This is a long-standing donator, um, Crown Wine Cellars. Every year, they donate a fantastic wine dinner in a club that you can't normally get access to unless you're going to an event that's being held by someone that's renting out the place. Otherwise, it's a members-only cellar for people who have collectible wines, and there's a restaurant in there for those patrons and members. So what you can get, though, is to experience that. It's a bunker. It's a heritage site that was used um, during uh, World War II as a bomb shelter, and you can get a, uh, a dinner, a three-course dinner, with three different types of wine to go with it. And uh, that is for six people. Um, it's worth... $12,000. That's what they were charged for it. And right now, the bidding is for far less than that. This has been bid on a couple of times already. So uh, get them in if you're after this one. Um, from elsewhere, there is an amazing opportunity here by one of the masters of wine in Hong Kong. You can learn how to be a judge for um, if you were doing judging for a professional uh, evaluation of wine. Because Deborah Meeberg, who is one of the Masters of Wine, will, uh, will take you through the basic principles and what, the way that you should do the swilling of the glass to nose it, which may basically means to smell the aromas, um, and the, the, the methods of tasting to get air into your mouth at the same time. All of those things that we kind of may have seen wine experts do. And you can do that with 10 people. Get 10 friends together and bid on this thing because it's, uh, it's an experience like uh, you won't get um, you know, elsewhere. It really is uh, something special that she's suggested. Um, so and if that, you don't have a... 10 friends, um, myself and Andrew Dambina are, are available. So Yes, I think we yeah. might find a bit of time for that. <laughs> <clears throat> you can get in touch. Um, uh, apart from that, there are a lot of other food and drink offerings from buffet dinners, uh, one for four at the Hotel Icon, which, by the way, is a place that people train to go into the food and beverage industry in Hong Kong. It's in Hong Hum, 
and the restaurants there are really to the high standard because they put people through tests to uh, to get credits for their degrees and master's degrees um, at Polytechnic University where next door basically to the hotel where there's a lot of people going through into the catering and hospitality industry. There are also some great restaurants in Lang Kwai Fong um, area and um, Kyoto Joe among others. There is an experience in the jockey club, a meal for four at the race course that you wouldn't normally experience at all. I'm aware that I'm coming to the end. Just cut me off at any time, Lorraine. Felix, a dinner for four at the Peninsula and uh, the Bakehouse in Wan Chai, one of the best bakeries, but also a restaurant in Hong Kong, has a brunch for four on offer. There are a few more that we probably haven't got time to go in for. Am I right, Noreen? You are right, but a lot. <laughs> there is something for everyone. Head on to the Radio 3 homepage and click on the auction graphic and it'll take you directly to the site. And meanwhile, thank you so much for your time this morning. Andrew Dambina, until next thank week, you. thank you very much. And